John chapter 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. We've been spending this season of Lent uh, preparing for tonight. 
And preparing for Sunday morning by looking at Jesus' last words to his followers after the Last Supper, before his betrayal and his arrest. We've been going through John's account of Jesus' teaching about the life that he is offering. And tonight brings us to the passage that's usually referred to as Jesus' high priestly prayer, which you just heard read. It's his prayer for himself, for his disciples, for all who will come to faith in him through the message that his followers are then going to take out into the world. Now, it's interesting that Jesus never referred to himself as a priest. He never called himself a priest. He only referred to himself as a teacher. Uh, Nevertheless, the earliest Christians understood that Jesus' life and death fulfilled the description of the Old Testament priest, a man who mediates between God and people. See, a priest had two basic jobs. A priest needed to represent God to the people and represent the people to God. A priest represents God to the people when he communicates God's law, God's requirements to his people. A priest represents the people to God when he makes sacrifices to God and when he pleads for them on their behalf. And Jesus fulfilled this role as a priest representing God to people and people to God. In fact, Jesus fulfilled the role so well that Christians consider Jesus the great high priest, the last and the greatest priest mankind will ever have or ever need. In the first few verses of Jesus' high priestly prayer, you can see both aspects of his priestly role coming through. In verse 6, he said, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. He's representing God to man. In verse 9, he says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given to me, for they are yours. He's interceding for his followers before God. But the reason Christians consider Jesus to be the great high priest, the last priest ever needed, is captured in verse 4. Verse 4 in his prayer, he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. The work. What was the work that Jesus was given to do? In representing God to man, what was Jesus supposed to accomplish? The answer to that question is what the rest of the gospel, according to John, and the other three gospels are all about. Jesus, Son of God, in the flesh, lived a perfect, sinless life and freely gave himself over to be killed. He didn't didn't live well and die willingly so that we would be inspired to be better people or to be more moral, though there's certainly an aspect of inspiration when you look at his life. Now, the central meaning of the life and the death of Jesus Christ comes when we understand that Jesus was our priest, representing God to us and us to God. But he was also our sacrifice. You know, every other priest in the history of religion has offered a victim distinct from themselves, a goat or a lamb, a bull or wheat or oil or money or whatever. Jesus offered himself as the victim. See, Jesus was both the offerer and the offering. He was the sacrificer and the sacrificed, the priest and the victim. As priest, he was sinless. As victim, he identified with sinners. Listen to this poetic reflection on this truth. As a priest, he was holy with the holiness of God. As a victim, he was made sin. As a priest, he was separated from the world. 
as a victim, he came into it to fight against the devil, the prince of the world. On the cross, he was upright as a priest. On the cross, he was prostrate as a victim. As a priest, he mediated with the Father. As victim, he mediated for the sins of men. Before Pilate, he spoke as the priest shepherd. Before Pilate, he was silent as the victim lamb. As a priest, he had dignity. As a victim, he suffered indignity. As a priest, he prays to the Father that the cup pass. As a victim, he drinks it to its dregs. Or if we put it another way, Jesus is the God with wounds. Jesus is the God with wounds. No, no other God has wounds. Though if you do a study in comparative mythology and comparative religion, you'll find the motif of a dying and rising God show up over and over again. But none of them are quite like Jesus. One of them is killed by his brother after he tricks him into shooting him with a mistletoe-tipped arrow. Uh, another drinks himself to death over remorse for his actions. Some are killed by other gods. Some die and are reborn every year along with the changing of the seasons. But only one God willingly gave himself over to death, resurrected himself, and was done. In Jesus, there's no ongoing cycles of death and resurrection, no betrayal by other gods, no suicidal drive. No other God has wounds like Jesus. In his best-selling book, The Life of Pi, some of you may have read it, uh, the novelist Jan Martel, he has his, his main character reflect on Christianity after being taught some of it by another character named Father Martin. And this is what his character's thinking, uh, that a God should put up with adversity I could understand. The gods of Hinduism face their fair share of thieves, bullies, kidnappers, and usurpers. Adversity, yes. Reversals of fortune, yes. Treachery, yes. But humiliation? Death? I couldn't imagine Lord Krishna consenting to be stripped naked, whipped, mocked, dragged through the streets, and to top it off, crucified, and at the hands of mere humans, to boot. I'd never heard of a Hindu god dying. Divinity should not be blighted by death. It's wrong. It was wrong of this Christian god to let his avatar die. That is tantamount to letting a part of himself die. For if the sun is to die, it cannot be fake. If God on the cross is God shamming a human tragedy, it turns the passion of Christ into the farce of Christ. The death of the Son must be real. Father Martin assured me that it was. But once a dead God, always a dead God, even resurrected, the Son must have the taste of death forever in his mouth. The Trinity must be tainted by it. There must be a certain stench at the right hand of the Father. The horror must be real. Why would God wish that upon himself? Why not leave death to the mortals? Why make dirty what is beautiful, spoil what is perfect? Love. That was Father Martin's answer. No other God has wounds. No other God is both priest and victim. See, Jesus' work to offer himself willing to be killed on our behalf is what we remember on Good Friday. It's not good that God had to die to save us from ourselves. But it is good that God did die. That God died for us shows that we are infinitely more sinful than we think we are, more sinful than we would ever dare admit to ourselves. But it also means because God chose to die for us that we're more loved, more valued by God than we would ever have dared hope. See, Jesus wasn't dragged to the cross. 
He wasn't forced to go there as a lamb or a bull would be forced. He wasn't muzzled on his way. He was driven there by his own great love for us and for his father. And he offered himself. He offered himself, not for himself, but for us. I glorified you on earth, he says in verse 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And Jesus is done. He's done the work he was called to do. He's on his way to the cross. He's willingly giving himself up for all of us and for, for each of us. And what does that mean for us? It means that eternal life is available to you. It's available for the taking. It, it means that no more sacrifices need to be made. It means that God is as pleased with us as he is when he looks on his own son in whom he is well pleased. It means that we can be part of a new family adopted by God with new brothers and sisters in the fellowship of the church. It means we have the hope of eternal life, the assurance of sins forgiven, the certainty of the resurrection. We have the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the only God with wounds, the only God who was priest and victim, wounded so that we could be healed, who died so that we could live. Which means that your great high priest, Jesus, who is himself the, the sacrifice on our behalf, has once and for all opened the way for us to find again what we were created to enjoy, unending fellowship and union with God, our creator and our father. Because the lion lifts himself, lamb slain, and priest and victim brings his people home. Pray with me. How you have loved us, O oh good Father, who did not spare your only Son, but handed him over for us evil men. How you, how you have loved us, for whom, not deeming equality with you something to be clung to, he made himself subject even to the death of the cross. He, the, the one man free among the dead, possessing the power to lay down his life and possessing the power to take it up again. For our sake, your victor and victim, and a victor because of victim. For our sake, your priest and sacrifice, and a priest because a sacrifice, making sons for you out of us slaves by being born for us, being born from you and serving us. Rightly is our sure hope in this, that you will cleanse all our weaknesses through him who sits at your right hand and intercedes with you for our sake. Otherwise, we would despair. For many and great are our weaknesses, many and great indeed but your medicine is greater still. Oh God who redeems, God who loves, create in us a new reverence for your son, our great high priest, who sacrificed himself on our behalf. Amen. John 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, 
went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So we asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your, your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? 